going there. Are there any dog people? One, two, three. Fantastic. All right. Me too. You know, so I'm married. My wife's name is Cora. She is my best friend and delightful. She has asked me a couple times recently, babe, do you want to get a dog? And the answer from me has been, I don't think so. Uh, it seems like a little bit more work than I'm uh, really hoping for. I want to be able to like go out and travel and not have to like come back just for the sake of the dog. Anybody with me? That's how I feel personally, but I know there are a lot of dog lovers and you love them. So what I was thinking of doing is I actually went online and I wanted to just like look up some cool breeds. Maybe I could be persuaded by the cute factor, but instead I got lured into uh, looking at the funny like breed names. Has anybody seen these strange breed names of dogs? Here are my, f my six top names of dog breeds. They're kind of strange, but I like them. The first one, Labracadoodle. Labracadoodle, I think people usually just call them Labradoodles, a Labrador Retriever and a Poodle. Uh, the second one, this one's great, a Pugapoo. It's a Pug and a Poodle. I thought that was cute. The third one has a special place in my heart, Schnoodle, okay? Schnoodle, this is a Schnauzer and a Poodle mix. One of my dog, you know, I had a dog when I was in high school, my family did, and it was a schnoodle. His name was Cody. He's got like a beard, you know, it's cute. Uh, here's another one, Dorky. Dachshund and a Yorkie. That's nice, it's cute. How about this one? This one rolls right off the tongue. A Corgle, okay? This is a Corgi and a Beagle. And the last one, a Shih Tzu mixed with a Poodle is a Shipupu, okay? Ah, Dogs, curious. The name's funny, and un what we're going to see in Philippians chapter 3 is that Paul is actually going to compare the behavior of dogs to some people, okay? Comparing the behavior of dogs with people, why would he do that? Well, let's just think about what a dog is. It's a wild animal that's got the potential to be domesticated. Undomesticated, it's out of control, no loyalty, no discipline. And for the most part, pursuing three things. What to eat, what kind of car to chase, and who to mate with. There's no question why we associate young men with dogs. Got them. In other words, in other words, a dog is someone who's focused on the fleshly desires, right? The animal instincts trying to pursue things like performance. When somebody's compared to a dog, that individual is not tame and is placing their emphasis on the flesh, gratifying deeds of the body, concerned about animal instincts, and when in a pack, thinking about competition. So what Paul, look at, I just want to look at Philippians chapter 3 and see how Paul is going to relate the behavior of dogs to the behavior of people. This is starting in verse 2 of Philippians chapter 3. Look, this is what Paul says right away. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We put 
no confidence in the flesh, but dogs are thinking all about the flesh. You see, in this situation, what's going on in this context, Paul is dealing with a specific type of dog, okay? And they also had a kind of crazy name. It wasn't quite like Pugapoo. It didn't roll off the tongue like Corgol, but they were called the Judaizers. Okay, the Judaizers, these were Jews who had become Christians, but they insisted that any non-Jew who wanted to become a Christian, who wanted to follow Jesus, that first they needed to be circumcised, that they would, in order to become a Christian, they would need to become a Jew first. So if they weren't born like a Jew, they would need to at least follow the Jewish customs in order to belong to the family of God. They said, you need to be circumcised in order for you to be a follower of Jesus. They were attaching a work of the flesh to the gospel. They were saying, Jesus plus circumcision makes you right with God. Paul says to look out for the dogs. Paul says to look out for those who emphasize a work of the flesh over a work of the spirit. Paul says to look out for the dogs. Look out for the ones who attach a work to belief. He says to look out for those that attach circumcision to the gospel of Jesus, that, that preach a Jesus plus fill in the blank, Jesus plus speaking in tongues, Jesus plus baptism, Jesus plus praying to Mary, Jesus plus confession to a priest. That's not the gospel, Paul says. The gospel is you are saved by grace because of Jesus and his performance, not because of your performance. Paul says to look out for the dogs, to look out for those who attach work to belief. Think about a, a pack of dogs for a second. Think about the dog mentality. It's all about advancement. So if there's a pack of dogs that we need to look out for, you're looking at one dog competing against the next, one dog imposing power over another with the primary goal of maintaining social status or possibly raising it. What we see oftentimes with these Jesus plus claims, they appear in places that make you feel like a second tier Christian. Like you need to perform a certain amount in order to actually belong to the alpha Christian club. But here's what we see in the Bible. There's no such thing as a second tier Christian because there's no such thing as an alpha Christian either. There are no ranks in Christianity. We are level underneath a holy God. The dog mentality has no place in the kingdom of God, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's not by works, so that no one would be able to boast over one other person. So if anyone tells you you got to do something more than trust in Jesus and have full confidence in him, they are actually telling you that you need to put your confidence in yourself and not fully in Jesus. But the gospel says to put your full confidence, full significance in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and put no confidence in the flesh. 
But let's be real with ourselves. It's not just a out there sort of thing that people are preaching at us. Jesus plus performance makes us right with God. More often than not, it's the person sitting in your chair telling you, Jesus plus my performance makes me right with God. That's often true of me. That one of the loudest voices in my head is telling me, it's Jesus plus preaching good sermons that makes God pleased with me. It's Jesus plus having more good days than bad days that makes me right with God. Someone might say to you, you've got that dog in you. (laughs) You've got a little bit of the dog mentality in you. Don't we? We're all a little bit like dogs in the sense that we are focused on our performance, focused on our achievements, focused on what we can do for God instead of totally resting in what God has done for us. There's a little bit of dog mentality in all of us, so for the believer in the room, the next time you feel like you do need to perform for God, the next time you think following Jesus is about having more good days than bad ones, the next time that you think you need to earn God's approval by your performance, know this tonight, that it is not your performance that makes you right with God. It is Jesus' perfect record, his blood applied on your life that makes you right with him. It's a free gift. Christianity is not image management. Christianity is confidence management. Take the confidence off of yourself and put it back on Jesus. He can handle it. And for the unbeliever in the room, I'm really glad that you're here because if you came into the room thinking that Christianity was all about cleaning yourself up, and making God be pleased with you based on your ability to kind of serve him or show him how good you are. I've got great news for you. It is not about your performance. You won't be able to earn God's love like that. It is a gift, a free gift. And so it's not about you showing up to God perfectly put together. It's about you showing up to God desperate for him to give you the gift of grace. It's about taking confidence off of yourself and placing it on Jesus. And if anybody is qualified to talk about this, it's Paul, the writer of this letter. Because in this next section, what he's going to do is he's going to provide a muzzle for the dogs. He's going to silence any claims that say, I can perform and earn the approval of God. If anybody's got a great resume to present before God, it's Paul, and he's going to prove us that that's the case. Look at verse 4 as Paul continues to make his claim that it is Jesus alone. This is what he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Here's what Paul is showing us. He's got everything. He's got everything going for him. 
the perfect resume. Let me just walk through what he mentions and tell you why this is actually super impressive. Like he's actually got quite a bit to brag about. Let me, let me show you what I mean. When it says circumcised on the eighth day, he's telling us that he had the right parents who did the right thing with him at birth and raised him the right way. When he says, I'm of the people of Israel, it's saying he's of the right nationality, the preferred people group. When he says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, he's saying he was in a well-known family. That in that same tribe came kings. He's in the right family. When he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, it means he was a purebred, proud of his upbringing, and not going to go out and taint it. When he says, as to the law, a Pharisee, he's saying that he was a spiritual elite, that he kept every tiny little law throughout his life, every small detail paying close attention to, and he did it perfectly. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, which means Paul was a go-getter. He actually went after things. He was the David Goggins type. He actually went hard after his dreams. He had zeal. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That according to any religious leader of that day, they would look at Paul, they would look at his life, they would look at his accomplishments and what he had done, and they would say, that guy has done it the best he could. Blameless. Paul had everything. Right people group, right family, right school, right passions, the right ministry credentials. If anyone could claim confidence in what he had done, it would be Paul. But something that we need to know about Paul's story is that he didn't actually always go by the name of Paul. He went by the name of Saul. One letter difference. What we see in his life, we can, we can get a glimpse of what his life was like when he was called Paul in the book of Acts. So I'm going to go to Acts chapter 9 in a second, and it'll be on the screen. But what we see in Saul's life was that it was characterized by confidence in himself by seeking after performance and credentials and climbing up the ladder. And it totally worked. He made it to the top. And he was totally confident in his ability. His whole life was about him. And I don't think you can really blame him because seems like the dude was put in perfect position to care about that kind of stuff. He had a lot going for him. Went to the right school, was in the right family. Everything was about his performance. Until one day, everything changed. And so I want to look at that encounter that he had, that moment where everything totally changed and point out a couple of things. Like I said, this is in the book of Acts in chapter 9. Check out what, Paul, what Saul was up to before he became Paul. This is what it says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any people belonging to the way of Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
Paul is literally trying to enslave and throw Christians in prison. He hated Christians, was a part of persecuting them and trying to wipe them out. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. This was the moment when Saul's life flipped completely upside down. He would not finish the mission of going to Damascus and throwing Christians in prison. What we see just a couple verses later is that Paul put his faith in Jesus, that he saw him for who he really was, Lord, beautiful, holy. He saw his sin, that he was not just hurting people, but he was actually betraying God, persecuting Jesus. Paul, in the next couple verses, instead of killing Christians and trying to wipe out churches, began to preach Christ. Can you imagine this? This guy was literally coming straight from killing somebody just because he associated with the name of Jesus. Then homie gets knocked off of his horse, blinded by this bright light, and believes in Jesus, and now starts preaching that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the Savior, and the only hope of the world. That's breathtaking. We later learn that Saul would become a chosen instrument to carry the name of Jesus to new places around the entire world, to new people who would need hope. Paul would be the very person to write letters like Philippians to churches. Paul would not... Paul would go from trying to wipe out churches to planting new ones. A completely different life mission. All because he met Jesus and saw him for who he really was. His life went from being completely about himself and his performance to completely about Jesus and what he had done. All in one moment. And what we find out later, just a couple chapters later, is that after this happened, Saul got a new name. Saul became Paul. The persecutor of the church became the man who would write Philippians, the one who killed Christians, would be a man who started to plant churches. He got a new name. And from his new name, a new mission, a new perspective, a new goal, his whole life flipped upside down. And maybe Saul got a new name to show us that when we meet Jesus, the primary difference in our lives is not new behavior, but a new identity. Maybe Saul became Paul because God wanted to show the world what kind of God he is. A God of new names and new beginnings. He's a God who can transform anyone's life and give them hope. Maybe Saul became Paul to tell you that you can receive a new name too. Maybe Saul became Paul to prove that you are not too far gone to be accepted by God. Maybe Saul became Paul to show you that your past doesn't determine your future. Because all it takes is seeing Jesus, meeting him, and you receive a new name. 
And if Jesus decided to show himself to Saul on a road to Damascus, then Jesus can show himself to you tonight in an auditorium in Minneapolis. And maybe God would want to use my voice to tell you your new name in Christ. Maybe God wants to knock you off your horse to show you who he really is and give you a new name. When you see Jesus and put your confidence in him, this is your new name. You are adopted. You belong to God. You're his child. He loves you. You are beloved. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. You are chosen. God sees you. He chooses you. You are a new creation. The past is dead and gone. The new you has come. You are alive in Christ. You're forgiven. All of your wrongs have been nailed to the cross and buried with Christ as he died. You are made alive in Christ. You have new life because of what he's done. You are righteous. Better than just forgiven, better than just a clean slate, you have the righteousness of Christ. Your account is full. And when, G- and when God sees you, he does not see your sin, past, present, or future. He sees his son. You are redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Jesus, and no longer a slave to sin. This is who you are in Jesus. This is your new name. If you're in Christ, this is true about you on your good days, and it's true about you on your bad days. It's grace. You didn't earn it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. All of this to prove that no one is too far gone, that they can't receive it, but no one is too good, that they don't need this to be true about them. And when you look in the rearview mirror of your life and see all the ways that you've been trying to be confident in yourself, you will say along with Paul in chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever performance I was trying to earn on myself, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing compares to meeting Jesus and knowing him and being known by him. Nothing. This is Paul's story. This is my story. It could be your story. Guys, up until college, my life was completely about me. Completely about trying to stack performance after performance trying to create an image that other people would approve of, trying to create a resume that people would applaud. But then I met Jesus, and it it wasn't about me anymore. It didn't need to be about me anymore. It was about him, and he gave me a new name. He knocked me off my horse. He showed me his face. He gave me a secure identity. Gave me confidence that wasn't based on my performance this day or that day or that year, but a confidence rock solid in the person of Jesus. A confidence that would outlive the grave. 
Guys, Christianity is not about doing a lot of good things for God. It's about knowing God and being known by him. That's what Paul is getting at here. Put no confidence in the flesh. Put all your confidence in Jesus. I don't know that I've ever told anybody this, but did you guys know that I, uh, I know Bob Motzko? You guys know Bob Motzko? Head coach of Gopher Hockey. So, kind of a subtle brag. I know this guy. Kind of cool. Uh, first name basis, Bob. Guys, any weekend I can. Any weekend I can. I love going to Mariucci. Cheering on the Gophers. Particularly because I know Bob. I love going to the games and cheering. On, I, I even wear my jersey when I go. Because I want people to know that when I'm at Mariucci, man, I'm for the Gophers. I love you, Bob. I mean, I'm screaming from the stage. I love you, Bob. So proud of what you're doing for Gopher culture. The state of hockey, it's fantastic. Even when I'm not in town, though, I even try and like watch Gopher hockey games on TV, try and keep up with the scores, try and keep up with no, to know what's going on. But when I'm there, I'm the most passionate fan. And it's not just a weekend thing, guys. Not just a weekend thing. All week, I'm talking about Gopher hockey. I'm so stoked because I know Bob, and so I'm talking about Bob, and uh, I talk to people about his past history, you know, like what he's been up to. I've read his biography Cover to cover. I, I know what he's been up to, what his life has been like. I've got a t-shirt that represents Gopher Hockey so that people know that I know Bob. I even know some of the players that know Bob. Imagine this. That tomorrow night, game night against Michigan, big one, that I go down to the bench. Because I know Bob, right? So I'm going to go down to him. I'm going to start banging on the glass. It's a big moment, right? And I've got a sweet play that I've drawn up for the team. So I start banging on the glass. Hey, Bob! Yo, I've got a sweet play. I've got a sweet play. This is a for sure goal. For sure goal. And then he looks around, looks at me in the eye. And what does he say? Who are you? Guys, I don't know Bob. (laughs) But more importantly, Bob doesn't know me. And just because all of those other things are true about me, that I've got the gopher hockey jersey because I love going to the games because I watch the things on TV and because it's not just a weekend thing, but I'm actually a fan. It doesn't, it doesn't deny the fact I don't actually know Bob. Yes, you know Jesus. Or are you just doing a bunch of things for him? Do you know who he is? Do you spend time with him? Do you know what he's like, actually? Not just like hearing about it from other people, but do you actually know who he is? Christianity is not about doing a bunch of things for God and making everybody think that you're a big fan of him. It's about knowing him and being known by him. There's nothing like it. We can try or bring our best to God, but we entirely miss the point because the point isn't that we can try to impress him or show him how much of a fan that we are of him. The point is that we can know God and be known by him. Saul spent his entire life performing for righteousness. And his performance was as good as it could be. But looking back, 
He was able to consider every pursuit of personal status and achievement as a total pile of crap. Look at what he says in verse 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That actually translates to crap. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I consider the loss of all things. Consider them crap because of how they compare to knowing Jesus. Growing up in a Christian household, crap. Going to a Christian school, crap. Reading Bible to just try and like impress people, it's just a piece of crap. Showing up to like Christian events, it's just crap. Compared to knowing Jesus, there's a difference. That's what Paul's getting at here. None of those things can actually give you peace with God. The only thing that gives you peace with God is knowing his son Jesus and be found in him. Do you know Jesus? You can. You can know him. Paul continues to say this after he continues in verse 8. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here is the Christian life, not performing for righteousness, performing from righteousness. That your right standing with God is not a trophy to achieve, but a gift to receive. And here's the beauty of that reality, guys. That Christianity, through the gospel of Jesus, it's the only place where acceptance comes before performance. It's the only place where the verdict comes before looking at all the evidence. Your identity decides your performance, not the other way around. You receive your new name from God, and then you operate out of that, not trying to perform in order to earn the new name. And this is the only true path to loving our neighbors. I want you to think about this with me, that serving and loving from your identity is the only way to actually love somebody. Serving and loving for your identity, it's just